Well, let's get our Bibles open if we can to, we're studying the book of Ephesians. We started that last week. Ephesians chapter 1, what you're going to do is you'll open your table of contents. You'll see your Old Testament, New Testament. Your New Testament is where you'll find the book of Ephesians, and it's about a third of the way down. Whatever page that corresponds to in your Bible, if you would turn to, we're going to, be, we're going to finish out chapter number 1, Ephesians chapter number 1. Last week was very interesting. Right? You, you, we, what we went through and read, you're like, wow, okay, that's in there. Um, well, yeah, uh, Paul basically backs up a dump truck and just unloads an amazing amount of spiritual blessing. We talked last week, kind of likened it to the spiritual lottery, okay? Well, now we're going to see what he does with that. Uh, but to kind of get us in the frame of mind um, as we're going to look at actually a prayer from Paul. He prays very specifically for his church, for the church in Ephesus, which is present-day Turkey. He, he's praying for them after having backed up this truck, you know, beep, 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 and then boom, he just drops this incredible amount of blessing on his people, okay? And now he backs that up, follows up with a prayer, and we're going to look at that prayer and understand what exactly he's praying for. Now, to do that, I want you to think about maybe the, the most technologically advanced device that you have. For, for many of us, it's, it's our phones. And I know that a lot of people with technology, what we typically do is we, we like it up to a point that it kind of serves our purposes, but don't take me any further because it's too confusing. For some of you, you have an iPhone and you are paying for data just so you can text and talk. That's what you're doing. And, and to begin to have a conversation about how else your phone works and how amazing it is and the apps that you can access and make your life a whole lot better, you're like, no, 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 no. That's too much for me. That's way too much for me. And, and for many of us, that, that is kind of just technologically speaking, we, we, we want to understand it up to a point, but don't take me any further because I just don't want to be overwhelmed and, and it's just really, it's too much to know. And so what happens is we shortchange ourselves. We miss out on what th this particular device that we have in our hands or, or in our home or whatever it might be, what it can actually do for us. Well, in a way, that's what Paul's doing. Paul is coming to them and he's challenging them not to grow in their knowledge of their phones, but to grow in their knowledge of God. You see, maybe some of them, and, and I, I've got to believe the reason Paul was praying this was that, that he, had a, he had a sense, he had awareness that some of them knew just enough about God, but no more. I, I don't want to go any further. It gets complicated. He might ask more of me. I'm, I'm happy right where I am. And, and Paul says, no, don't do that. Grow in the knowledge of God. Understand the, the, what it opens up in your life, in the life of others, in the lives, really, of your, of your own little private world. And so that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at this prayer in the last part of chapter 1. And we're going to see Paul's, I mean, he's, he's begging them, in a sense, um, through his prayer. He's pleading, grow in your knowledge of God. Do not be satisfied that you, you know how to text and talk. There's so much more there for you and, like I said, for those around you and for the world in which you live. Now, to do that, let's go back chapter 1 
And if you remember, he, he's wanting them to know this God deeply that in verse 3 of chapter 1 says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And then, like I said, he unloads, just here comes a blast. And remember we said that he goes, that he's chosen people, he's predestined people, he's redeemed people, he's forgiven them for their sins, he's given them an inheritance, he's given them a down payment. He, I mean, he's just blasting them with, look at all that God has done. And last week we talked about that God chooses some and he passes over others. And this is a, this is a, a, a theological um, doctrine and debate that has gone on for 2,000 years. And smart people are on both sides of really understanding what that means. And we're talking about the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And last week we looked at and we read. He says, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world Paul says to the people in Ephesus. And I, and I talked to you last week about how God chooses some and he passes over others. And, and we addressed, well, was that fair? Is that just? How, how do we understand that? And we went through that last week. And I encourage you, go back and listen to last week. I'm not going to go back into it this, this morning. But what we have to understand is this is an amazing expression of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because this says that God has everything, 100% to do with your salvation and you have 0%. I have 0%. Now, what I didn't address last week, and real quick, I'm going to address it this week. Last week, you might have been sitting here and thinking, I'm not one of the chosen. Am I one of the chosen? I want to be one of the chosen. Is it possible that I want God to choose me? And he says, nope, you're not on the list. It's not, my friends. It's not it at all. What we have to understand, and this is the way in which God mysteriously works. And I said, remember, you've got to have that Isaiah 55 bucket. God mysteriously works sovereignly his perfect plan out through the free will and decisions and choices of his people. And so that every person is going to get in the end exactly what they want. To those who hear this idea that God chooses, and they want to be chosen, God's not going to turn you away. That might very well be the beginning, as Jesus says in John 6, 44, that the Holy Spirit is beginning to draw you to himself. But there are others who say, I don't care. I'm not interested. And God's going to give you exactly what you want. Okay? So I just want to kind of clear that up. But with, with, with all that, those blessings that Paul talked about in chapter 1. Now we get to this prayer. And you can just, this is heavy on his heart. And I want to begin in verse 15. So if you'll follow along with me, verse 15, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul says, this is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. The saints meaning followers of Jesus. He goes, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his vast strength. He demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at the at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
and he put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So did you pick, Paul has this general prayer at first in verse 17, right? So this general prayer. And in this general prayer, Paul is, is, is pleading in a way. He goes, I'm praying that the Spirit of God will stir inside you, your spirit, that you will desire and want to grow in your knowledge of God. And then he gets very specific in three different ways. And so that's kind of how we're going to break it up. In verse 17, he's, he's general, but his, his general prayer is that he wants, he wants us to grow, to expand, to go past texting and talking, to really understand this incredible God who has blessed us in verse 3 with every spiritual blessing in the heavens that comes through Christ. So we are to grow in our knowledge. What's interesting, think about this for a moment. This is, a little, this is for free, no charge for this, okay? Previously, he had just talked about God's sovereignty and that God's perfect will is going to be accomplished no matter what, okay? And yet here he is praying. Now you might think, wait a minute, if God's ends are going to happen... No matter what, God's plan is going to perfectly be accomplished, then why should I do anything? Well, Paul apparently clearly thinks, wait a minute, my, my prayers are a part of that. And remember we said last week that God not only ordains and is sovereign over the ends, but he's also ordains and is sovereign over the means. And so Paul's prayer here is a means to God's end that his people would come to know him beyond texting we're talking. I mean, we're not, we're not simply to be happy with knowing the basics. God wants us to understand who he is in the full way that he's revealed himself. Now, let's think about how has God revealed himself? How can he be known? Well, one way is creation. We look at creation. I mean, God's done an amazing part of that in this part of the country, is to see the beauty of creation, the precision of nature, and just say, man, this really this couldn't have happened by chance. There's a divine designer behind this, and God is saying, that's me, that's me. We see God revealing himself in the scripture through God's word. God says, the Bible, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that God has breathed out his word into the word so that we might find it profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And so we have God revealing himself through all 66 books of the Bible, the most prominent way in which God has revealed himself, the most personal way in which God has revealed himself, though, is in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God in a human body. And so we see the revelation of God in Jesus Christ, and then we have the Holy Spirit. When you become a follower of Jesus, the Spirit comes upon you, and now you have God in the person of the Holy Spirit, indwelling, living inside of you. That is how personal, that is how close, that is how intimate God wants to be in our relationship with us. And so when Paul's praying and pleading that they would grow in their knowledge of God, he wasn't wanting them to grow in their knowledge as if God was a math problem. And A plus B equals C, and I want you to understand A and B so you can understand C. In some objective, some, some maybe sterile, some, some distant kind of way. No, this is understand and know who God is personally, relationally, because God seeks after us and has revealed himself in these ways. Now, the problem, the challenge for us is if we don't grow in our knowledge of God, if we just kind of stop with the basics, what, here's, we are prone 
to creating a God in our minds and in our hearts that really is rather tame and kind of serves our purposes and our, our interests. I mean, it's quite possible for some of you in here, some of you that are tuned in, that the God in your mind is not the God who's revealed himself in all 66 books of the Bible or who has revealed himself in creation or in Jesus. It's possible if we do not keep moving forward and growing in our knowledge of him. And, and here's why knowledge is so important. Knowledge is important because our faith comes from our knowledge. You cannot have faith in something that you don't know. You cannot have uh, faith in someone that you don't know. You've got to understand what you're putting your faith in. And so knowledge is incredibly important. Actually, in 1 Peter, uh, Peter likened, he said that uh, the genuineness of your faith, he says, it's more profitable, more valuable, more precious than gold. I'm asking you, do you sense your faith in that way? Do, Do I sense that my faith is the most prized possession I have and it's not even close? That it's more precious than anything you could ever have. That is how important our faith is. And, and if our faith is that important and it comes from our knowledge of God, then we must understand that this is why Paul is pleading, is that they would come to understand because the strength, the strength of your faith and my faith is connected to our, the depth of our understanding and knowledge of God. You, you won't get away from that. And so if your depth of God is shallow, then as you live... In this broken world and evil things happen, you're not going to have much to be able to withstand the onslaught of despair and anger and depression. But the deeper your understanding of God goes, the more you can stand in and face the challenging brokenness that we are seeing all too often in this world. And so... It's, it's, it's the knowledge of God that's really, really important. Now, I'm curious, what do, you, what do you know best? What do you think you have the most knowledge in or about? Is it fixing things? Some of you are really good at fixing things. You're thinking, man, yeah, I really know pretty much how to fix everything. People like you intimidate people like me. Literally, I um, changed the smoke alarms in our house, which is a monumental feat for me. I, I had to borrow the tools from my wife, and um, I, I'm not making, I'm, I'm serious. I went out, and I turned the power off in our house to do that. I was just, I was afraid that I was going to shock the tar out of myself, and I was, I was, <laughs> I mean, it was, guys, I know you're going to say, mm, we need to take his man card right now, and I, I fully understand that. I've given my man card over many times to Nancy and said, you do it, okay, so, um, but I'm curious, if, if maybe you're thinking, man, I fix things. That's what I know, right? Some of you in here can detail every outcome of all the bachelorettes and bachelor shows. You, you can do it. It's amazing how you do that. Others of you know very, very well sports facts. Now, that, now you're in my wheelhouse. Come on, let's go. You, you, you fix it, guys. Let's sit down. Let's talk about rosters of baseball teams and football teams. Let's talk about how many games out a team is. Let's, let's do that. I'm, I'm there, right? No spiritual value there, but I'm there, okay? Um, how about lyrics to songs? I, I'll hear somebody, and, and my daughter, every time a song comes on, she, how do you know the words to that song? I mean, everyone, she just belts it out. Some of you are just 
the same way, or you know the lines from a sitcom, right? Like, I, I'll test anybody in here. On my, I know the lines to, to Seinfeld like no one else, and I throw them out all the time. You've heard them in sermons sometimes, and Nancy's gone, you know that show's pretty old. I went, well, it's still on TV, all right, so leave me alone. But here's what I want you to think about when I say this. How does your knowledge of these things, of whatever it is that you say, I know best, how does your knowledge of that compare to your knowledge of God? Because if our faith is the most precious thing we can have, and if our faith is connected to the knowledge of God himself, and God desires that, then that should be, God should be the one that we know better than anything else, better than any Seinfeld quote, better than any bachelorette outcome, better than any way to fix anything, right? That's, that's where our knowledge should be. And so I think we just got to ask ourselves, how does my knowledge of God measure up? Because Paul is saying, there's nothing greater, there's nothing more valuable than your knowledge of God. And he's praying and pleading that the Spirit of God will incite in them this motivation and desire to want to grow in that. Then he gets specific in three different ways. Verse 18, he says, I pray that the perception of your mind, some of your uh, translations say the eyes of your heart, may be enlightened so you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now, what does he mean by that? The hope of his calling. Now, the word calling harkens back to what he said earlier in verses 1 through 14 about his choosing, his sovereignly choosing people. He's talking about God's calling there. And when you take God's calling connected to hope, what does hope mean? Well, well hope has a future dimension to it. It's what's out there in the future. And in particular, he's talking about the eternal life that, that we, as followers of Jesus, those who have put their faith and trust in him, we have this eternal hope that we will rise and have resurrected bodies and we will live in the presence of God with God eternally. So that when you pull this together, when you pull the calling, God's sovereignty, all right, and you combine that with the hope of the future, this eternal life that we have, our future eternal life, what Paul is praying for is that they would know the certainty and the assurance that they have of their future eternal life, that it is not in doubt, it is not in question, it is not to be worried or stressed about. He's praying, God, please, may they know that they know without any hesitation that the future eternal life that they have, that you've talked about, that well, you just backed up a truck and said, here are some blessings just for you to understand what is in front of you and what has happened to you already. May they never waver, may they never wonder, may they realize because it was 100% of God's work May they have the assurance and the boldness to claim and embrace that promise. And when you do, when you realize where your hope is and your future is, my friends, it changes how you live now. I mean, we see that all the time, right? I mean, some of you uh, are, are probably planning to move at some point, whether it's I realize as people get around my age, and this is, this is a painful reality of being how old I am, and that is that some people now begin to start thinking about moving away to go be with their grandchildren, to go be with their parents and help their parents, or to find some sunshine. And what happens when you begin thinking like that? You begin to disengage here and engage there. And, and, and that's, what, that's what Paul is, is saying. Paul is praying that they would disengage here in a worldly way and engage there in the eternal life that is certain and is theirs and is coming. 
And, and this, for me, as I was studying this personally, this is by far the greatest challenge. I, I find that as I get older, um, my mind starts to wander in the direction of comfort and convenience, and, and that, is a, that is a challenge, a, a great challenge. And I think it's a challenge for all of us. And, and we, here's the thing. We live in a very comfortable world, our, 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 and a comfortable country. We have so much available to us. And Paul is just pleading that their focus would stay eternally, not temporally. Now, I, th- I thought to myself, and I've been, like I said, I've been working on this. As, this is my own work. I'm thinking, okay, how do I not fill my mind? How, how do I keep from my perspective being stuck here? And how do I live in light of what's there? Because that's what Paul's praying for. That's what God wants is, is too many of us are planning. We are planning for our lives here and not there. And it is so short-sighted. And the impact, it, it damages our witness. It, 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 it hurts the, the mission and movement of the church. And so I've been thinking, okay, what does that look like? Well, let me just share with you, and personally, and I think these probably apply to everybody in this room. I think you have to purposely, as a discipline, not fill your minds with the things that are here. In other words, it's not to say that we can't interact, but when we begin to love and desire, and they become the focus, now I think we have a problem. For me, I know that I have a problem. You know, Paul actually addressed this in a way in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, because I don't, I don't want you to think there's some wonderful things about this world that God has blessed us with that we can enjoy and, and, and find rest and relaxation and worship as we do. And if taken too far, if sought too hard, if loved too deeply, there's destruction. And, and Paul had this with, with money. In, in 1 Timothy, Timothy chapter 6, he said, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, he doesn't say for money, he says for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. We certainly can apply this and and, and I'm applying this in my life to the things of this world, which again, like I said, travel, leisure, recreation, they're wonderful things, but if we begin to crave them, if we begin to love them and have to have them, if they begin to become our focus because it's about here, we've lost sight. And now they are a detriment. Now they are a, a danger to us. And so I'm trying to focus and, and say, okay, this is why I have significantly backed away from social media. Because I think social media, just it, it becomes this way of, of reinforcing here. And not there. And, I, and I've kind of backed away from that. I think you've got to be careful what TV shows you watch, what books you read that breed discontent, that, that make you want more what you already have. Or maybe you hang around people and you get too close to them. I'm not saying disengage from people, but, but if, if, if you become too close to people who are seeking after this world to fill themselves because they don't have an eternal perspective, then you've got to be really careful. I realize I'm meddling now, okay? But let me, if I'm going to go this far, let me just go all the way, all right? Let's talk about retirement for a minute. I realize that, and, I, and I've, it's on my radar, 
right? I, I, it's still a ways out, but, but it's one of those things you kind of got to be thinking about and planning for. And I've got to be careful that my mind doesn't take me to where I picture retirement like, like a lot of other people picture retirement, like retirement is, is purposefully uh, promoted. And that is you've worked hard, now go walk on the beach with your wife 24-7. Or travel the world and see all the beauties of the world. Or go get a place in Arizona and play golf till you puke. You know, I mean, just stuff like that, right? There's, there's, there's nothing in the Scripture that says anything about retirement. Nothing. Retirement, you know what retirement is? It's when you die. It's when you are now with and in the presence of Christ himself. And when, when you get to retirement, if God has blessed you with health and with time and with financial resources, it's, it's, it's a time to get, engage more into the mission of the church. I know. I said I was going to go all the way. There it is. I realize I'm messing with your dream, and I'm messing a little bit with mine. And, and this has just been, I've just had a tension about this because I, I realize when you get to retirement age, you're tired. I'm working hard. I've been working hard for this moment. And God's been showing me how temporal that thinking is. How temporal that thinking is. So live with there in mind. It, it's just, it's throughout the scripture. Let me, um, let me take you just to a couple places. And I, I, I've written, I've got several of them down here. But just listen over and over to this refrain. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, particularly Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. Listen to what Paul says. Listen to how his life and how he managed his life was all about there. It was, it was driven by, and he, and he was looking there. He wasn't looking here. Verse 24, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away. In other words, they do it for here. He goes, but we a crown that will never fade away. He's talking about there. Then in Philippians chapter number 1, verses 21 and 24, 21 through 24, he says, For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I live on, the, live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. He's debating. Should I stay here or if I know that my death is imminent, I'm okay being there? And he goes, I'm good either way. He goes, I, I long to be with Christ. But then he says, I am, I am pressured by both. I have the desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in flesh is more necessary for you. He says, keep me alive, keep me here, not for me, but for you. I mean, this, is, this is the kind of thinking. Uh, let me read to you one more. There, there's more. I, I intended to do that, but I, I'm, I don't have the time. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Paul says this. He says, brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Just keep reading those. And it will shrink your temporal perspective and worldview about here. It'll shrink it to nothing, as it's been doing in me. So there's... Paul's first very specific prayer that they would focus on what is to come. Then secondly, in the latter part of verse 18, he says, also, I want you to know what are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints. 
Paul is saying, I don't only want you to think about there and, and, and living in light of there. He goes, I want you to think about and I want you to focus on what is there. The glorious riches of the inheritance that are in Christ. I mean, think about what those are for a moment. Just, I, and I don't know how much time you take to do this, but I, I, this is a discipline. But think about our resurrected bodies. I mean, there, there's a new heaven, but there's a new earth. And we are going to be given resurrected bodies. We're going to be walking on this earth. We're going to see the beauties of this earth without all the same, without, without sin, without natural disaster, without guilt and shame and fear and anxiety and bitterness, all gone. And we're going to be among people we love greatly and who love us greatly. We're going to see Jesus face to face. And, and believe it or not, we're going to have a job. You see, God gave Adam a job in the garden before sin ever entered the world. Because God is he's a worker. He, he, he creates things. It, it, it helps to express his glory and his beauty. And, and we're going to have a job that we're actually going to want to go to. And we're going to enjoy. And it's going to be meaningful to us. And we're going to see this new earth with all of its sunsets and majesty and beaches and mountains that, that we have to see now through eyes that are tainted because of sin and through a world that's, and a creation that's even moaning because of sin, we're going to see it with its beauty and its perfection. And my friends, that has been guaranteed by Christ. We need to think about that. Paul says, set your mind on those things because the temptation here is to be drawn to the temptations of this place and the things of this world. I, I'm curious, wh what would you take? Let's just for a minute, let's just use our imagination for a moment. If I honestly had the ability to write a check for a million dollars, many times over, let's say, which would you take? If, if, if I said, do you want what I just described? The resurrected body, the sinless heart, the new earth, the, a job that you enjoy, being in the presence of Christ. No shame, no guilt, no sin, no disease, no death, no dying. Would you take that then? Or I'll write you a check right now for $1 million. And, and, and it's legit. I mean, which would you take? Would there be a temptation to take the million dollars? I mean, there'd be a temptation for me. I mean, a million dollars, that can fix a lot of things. As I said before last week, it can also create a lot of problems, as Paul just warned in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But I just wonder, does that help you understand, really, hmm, would I really say, no, a, mil a million dollars? No way. Do you know what I have? The, the infinite, glorious value of his riches that are just waiting for me, that have been secured and procured by Jesus himself. So, Paul says, please, he's praying and pleading, may they focus on not only there, that they're going to be there and live in light of there, but what they're going to get there, what their inheritance is, what the treasure is there. And then he finishes. He says, verse 19, and what, he wants them to know, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to his to the working of his vast strength. And then he gives a brief description of what kind of power this involves. Verse 20, he says, he demonstrated this power in the Messiah, which is Jesus, by raising him from the dead. In other words, he's saying, may they know, may you know, may we know that we have the power available to us that raised a dead man. 
It's the same power that also put Jesus in the heavenly realm, sitting at the right hand of God, in which he was given all authority above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but in the age to come. The power that God gave in Christ to have dominion over everything and everyone. That power. And then lastly, he says, and also the power that appointed him as the head over everything for the church, which is his body. I could do a message on that verse alone right there. And he finishes, he says, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. That is pregnant with meaning. What he's saying is that he has put Jesus as the head of the church. And I always, it's always interesting when I hear people say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Right? And you've heard me say this before. It's, it, that's like coming up to me and saying, Kevin, I like you, but, you know, Nancy's ugly. Come again. Right? Because the church is the bride of Christ. Or when people come to me and say, Kevin, I like you, but High Point Church is a whacked up, jacked up mess. Okay, that doesn't help me here because... I have a significant involvement in the ch- this church that you just said is a whacked up, jacked up mess, right? And, and that's what people will do. They, they will try to distinguish that. But you, Jesus is the head of the church. We are the bride of Christ. He's coming back for the church. We need to see the church in the way that he does. And then he says, notice that we are the physical manifestation. It says, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things. In other words, The church, which is present everywhere in the world, where followers of Jesus are, there's the fullness of of Christ manifested in the imperfect acts of love and service of those who follow him. That is how powerful. That is why Uvalde needs the church of Christ to stand up, to rise up. That's why we need it in other places as well. But that's not the point. The point I want to make is the power that we have within us and 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 paul says i'm pleading and praying that you would know it i'm curious is would you describe your relationship with jesus as something supernatural or is it just you being a better version of you or is it more like well jesus got me in the room now it's my job to kind of work my way through the room because this is an incredible promise that we have available to us and and that we god wants us to know as he speaks through Paul, he wants us to know and to understand that we have a supernatural power for godly living in the present life. We have it. It is given to us. And, and what does that power look like? We want to think of that power as the power to do whatever I want. God, give me the strength to go be this, to go be that, to go accomplish this, to go accomplish that. That's the kind of power we want because we're, we're thinking of it selfishly and it's hard not to because we're so good and have lived so long Selfishly. But no, this is a power for godly living. This is a power that we have within us to overcome the sin in our lives, to stop doing what we've been doing that's hurtful, to break out of addiction, to do the right thing, to do God's will. We have the power within us to endure, get this persecution and suffering and facing it with endurance For the glory of Christ and for our faith to remain intact. Some of you are facing something that's very scary in front of you. Your future isn't so certain here. My friends, it's certain there. And how you face that with with faith and courage is something supernatural. And we have it 
because of the power that resides in us. It's the power to live in this evil world still with hope. It's the power to, like I said, to break an addiction. It, 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 is, it is the power to, to sacrifice, to, to give up something, to let go of something for somebody else or so that someone else can have it. It's the power to be a witness to our faith to those who desperately are looking for an answer to this messed up, jacked up world. And this is what Paul's pleading for. It's what he's praying for. Do you realize the value of this truck that God has backed up and just dumped blessing after blessing? You've been chosen. You've been redeemed. You've been, before the beginning of time, you were chosen. You were forgiven of your sins. You're, you have an inheritance, a glorious inheritance. I'll give you a down payment, the Holy Spirit, to come inside of you. You know that what I'm talking about is something that's supernatural. It's not just a better version of you. Do, do you. do you know that God? Can you love that God? Can you draw close to that God? I mean, what would you not do if you knew and really believed that the one who died for you, Jesus, sits in authority over everything in your life? What would I do? What would I not do? What am I afraid to do? I'm like going, why would I be afraid? Why would I be afraid? So there's the power of Paul's prayer. Let me challenge you this week in this way. I'm going to challenge you every day to prayer to pray Paul's prayer, verses 17 through 19. I mean, every morning I want you to get, I just want you to pray that prayer and make it your own, verses 17 through 19. Just every day, just do that, 17 through 19, Okay. And then secondly is I want you to make a plan, make a plan of how am I going to grow in my knowledge of God this summer? Because the summer we tend to, whoop, you know, kind of take a break and a vacation from God. What are you going to do to grow in your knowledge of God this summer? Make a plan. I'm, I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to do more of that. I'm going to stop doing this. Whatever it might be, but just make a plan for this summer so that we can grow in the knowledge of God. And enjoy his presence in that relationship more than we ever thought possible. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you for Paul who pleaded in prayer for the people in Ephesus. And God, you, you preserved that prayer so that we would know that you desire for us to know you in exactly the same way. So that we could bring glory and honor to you. And receive your blessing. I pray that we would experience that all in Jesus' name. Amen.